Welcome to Deeper, a podcast of Wollongong Baptist Church. The podcast aims to follow the sermon series and to take our congregation deeper into God's Word. As always, it's wonderful to be here. I'm Sarah Leffley and I'm here with Pastor Ken Davies. How's your week been, Ken? Yeah, good so far. So far, we're only halfway through. Is the rest looking good too? The, the week after a sermon is often um, just catching up on a whole range of other things. Sure. Because um, it's been busy writing. So it's not, it's nice to just catch catch your breath a little bit. Yeah, so it's right. been good. Um, also, what do you think after a sermon? Do you spend a lot of time reflecting on how, how it went or what you think about it? Or is it just on to the next job? Mm, it depends. Yeah, I, I, it depends, I think, on how you've prepared and what you're expecting out of it. Um, so there were some good conversations that came came about after Sunday, um, yeah, which were, which were helpful. Um, so, yeah. It's left me with lots to think about. I think especially last week, your sermon and the one before Rod's sermon have been really application heavy. Yes. Um, and they're not always. No. Um, and so that's <laughs> left me with lots to think about and things that as a family we've had to discuss about, yeah. you know, especially from this one, how we're going to use our finance as well and that yep. sort of thing. Really helpful, but also really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it's something that we need to focus on and, and keep reminding ourselves and being reminded mm. that that's a, that's a priority in preaching, um, especially when you're preaching regularly to a similar group, um, to yeah, just be emphasising that on an ongoing basis. Definitely. I think you did a wonderful job. I was really encouraged by it and certainly challenged, so thank you. Let's dive in. Mm. Um you did mention to us that in this first team, mm-hmm. um, some of the members, Priscilla and Aquila, are gifted teachers like Paul, and yet Paul's the one that's exclusively freed up mm-hmm. to preach the gospel while they continue to work to support him. Yep. Um, if we're similarly gifted, mm-hmm. if we're good at teaching, mm-hmm. uh, how do we know when it's time to be a financial supporter or to exclusively commit ourselves to evangelism? Yeah, wow. What a, what a, <laughs> it's the million dollar question, isn't it? And I'm asking uh, on behalf of other people. This yeah. is not my gifting. <laughs> I think other people might want to know. <laughs> like, like, it's fascinating because Silas and Timothy, the reason that they turn up to the show late is actually because they've been in another church teaching. Yeah. And they actually come via Thessalonica where they encourage the church. They receive a gift from them, bring it along with them uh, as they come into Corinth. So, actually, all five people in the team are capable uh, and even gifted teachers. Uh, very capable in their own right. So why Paul? Yeah. Um, it's very possible that um, it was just they as a team. Um, when Paul first goes to Macedonia, he receives the vision, but Luke says that we as a team decided this is God saying to us we should go. Um, so it's not Paul giving a directive order, okay, we all must go. It's them together as a group somehow deciding, yes, this is what God wants us doing. Um, so whether they've just seen and they know, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, but Paul's better. Yeah. Um, whether it's something that's connected to the gift that's come from Thessalonica, um, whether it was a statement that Jesus has said to Paul, "This is this is your job," um, a direct vision that we don't hear about. Like we don't, we just don't know from the text. Um, so it's really tricky to know a definitive answer why Paul. Um, and for us, I, I think that that's really the one of the most helpful things of Acts is that it doesn't always give us the details to know how they came to their decision. 
I think if we were given that, we would assume that's what I must get in sure. order for me to do anything or to not do anything. Oh, I haven't received the command to, to financially support X, so I'll just keep doing what I want to do. Um, so the fact that that's all left out, I think just makes it a much more of a wisdom call. Um, we will look at people, we'll evaluate, we'll see how they interact with people, compare that with ourselves, working as a team, having discussions, potentially all of those things then will work out, okay, what's the practical way forward here for us as a group? That's a helpful answer. As a lover of instructions, yeah, <laughs> yeah. black and white answers, yeah. it's a, a nice, um, wise way to think about I, a I, reason for a lack of answers. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's an intentional pushback mm. from scripture that it actually doesn't detail it, so you can't get caught up. Is oh, this is the methodology? All right. On the other hand, what about if um, you're gifted in the work of tent making? Is, mm. it, is it okay to work a secular job and not be involved in the work of evangelism if you're using that financial yep. gain to support evangelistic work? Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- I think you can. Um, Ecclesiastes would actually push us to say that it's a gift from God to be mm. able to enjoy our work uh, and receive satisfaction in that. Um, so it's a right and good thing. I think that I, I think with both of them, we've always got to be asking questions. What's the danger we're going to fall into? If I go into full time ministry, what's my what's my likely danger? I'll expect people to follow me. I'll expect applause. I'll expect other things. Mm. If I'm working, what's the likely danger? Uh, the likely danger is I'll look after me. Yes. Um, I'll look after building my kingdom rather than God's kingdom. How am I going to make sure that J- Jesus speaks so much about money that it, it's deceptive, uh, it's very capable of leading us astray. How am I going to make sure that I'm good at my job and it keeps its right place? For sure. That it's a tool rather than something that just drives my life. I think also maybe one of the risks there is a complacency in that you you know you can set up a bank transfer and it just kind of happens passively, sure, sure. and then you're not always reflecting on on how you're supporting gospel work and yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't even become about the gospel anymore. It's almost like a ticker box. I've sure. I've donated, I've funded somebody, and that's that's my part done. Yeah, yeah. I think it, that would be the danger I would fall into anyway. Again, Acts doesn't tell us directly, but we can fairly safely assume that Priscilla and Aquila as their tent making and as whatever Timothy and Silas did, we don't know. Mm. But we can presume that based upon what they did at other times, that even as they're doing their jobs, they're also still having conversations with people about Jesus. And so if we push it to the extreme of I'm just an accountant, I'm just an engineer, and my only gift is to give finances, I think you've gone too far. For sure. And so there still needs to be an ongoing willingness to be a part of the bigger team that's talking to people about Jesus. Mm, That's a helpful way to phrase it, yeah. In this early church, um, in Acts, it makes sense, I guess, for all believers to support gospel work anywhere and for kind of anyone doing Mm. the work. And yet, how are we supposed to work out those responsibilities today when there's so many denominations and then lots of churches within each denomination? What's our responsibility? Is it to our church first and then to others? I don't. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, it's a it's a massive question. The 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 idea of stewardship. Uh, what's the responsibility as Christians? Um, Old Testament. They were given a much clearer instruction. There was there was rules about the tithe. Mm. Um, there were particular times of the year that you had to do certain things if you're part of God's people. Um, clearly, in the New Testament, it's much more about generosity, giving willingly. Um, 
recognizing that all that we have is a gift from God and so to be using it for his glory. Um, so it makes it much, much harder. And, and I think there is an increased complexity uh, to the fact that there are so many opportunities open to us, so many possibilities, sometimes so many um, demands yeah. that people are saying, oh, you should be giving to this. Uh, you should be giving X to the church. You should be supporting this particular missionary. Um, again, I think it comes down to... Um, that there is a clearer responsibility to those closest to us. If you're not looking after your family, but you're a, a good Christian, the Bible's going to push back against you and say, no, no, look after your people yes. first. That's your number one responsibility. So if you're not looking after your family in order that you can give more to overseas mission, I'm not sure that that's actually the right way to be For thinking. Sure. Um, but if your family's looked after uh, and you're also giving at church and you still recognize that God has blessed you with more, look at how you can be strategically contributing to all sorts of different ways, both in Australia, locally and overseas. Um, the missiologists, the, the people that write about mission thinking, uh, have used a term globalization, uh, that we need to be thinking globally, but acting locally. Um, and I think it's just a really helpful, as I'm doing all the work that I can with the guys that I ride with, uh, for them to hear about Jesus, if that's the limit of my thinking, then I'm too limited. Mm. So I must also be thinking about what is going on in Israel at the moment. How are people hearing about Jesus? How, what's happening in Africa? Um, we were, obviously, we spent a lot of time in Thailand speaking to Thai people, and that was our priority. But through that, that actually led to a ministry with people that we just didn't, we didn't know their language, we didn't know all of their practices, uh, but just being open to it meant that there were actually opportunities to minister to them in the long term as well. So... I think I'm a terrible global thinker, and I probably only just realised that right now, but I am. Um, and, and it's partly the responsibility of the church, that the church needs to be making us aware as a church of what are the global needs. And yes. so the fact that we have mission spots and we support people in lots of different locations is actually a, a great gift that it WBC is. has. I was going, that was going to be my mm. follow-up. I was going to say, but our church is good at it. We do it mm. well. And, you know, even at um, church meetings when we've heard from, you know, our Burmese brothers and sisters yeah. about the conflict in Burma. Yep. I have lived in ignorance of those things until WBC has brought them to my attention. So, mm. yeah, I was leading to a thank you for being good yeah, yeah. at that. And, and so it's a, part, it's a part of the Australian church or the Western church that I think needs to be increasingly focused yeah. upon, that this needs to be a priority in our church vision, um, that that's it has to be in there. It's essential. From, from Acts 18, it seems that this is an essential application of the gospel. Yes, and something that Paul and Timothy and yeah. Priscilla and Aquila were clearly good at yeah, compared yeah. to me. Now, the next question's odd. I want to know, what's this haircut about? Mine or Paul's? Well, I don't think you had one recently, <laughs> I, have you? I had, it, I had it after church because I didn't oh, want it. after church. <laughs> well played, strategic. Um, <laughs> Paul's is the one I'm mostly interested in. Yeah, yeah. Um, verse 18 <laughs> says that he had his hair cut off at Kencray. Um, so in Corinth, there was two ports. There was one to the north, one to the south. Um, and so he's at the port city. He's about to board the boat and he has his hair cut off, mm. um, which just seems really weird. Like, what, like, do, don't you want the spray in your hair or like, <laughs> 
Um, it seems the most likely thing is that he's actually taken a Nazarite vow. So in number six, it talks about the Nazarite vow where you grew your hair long and that hair was actually dedicated to God. At the end of the period of your vow, you cut it off and you actually put it in the, in the well, the priest on your behalf, put it in the altar and burnt it. Oh, yuck. Um, and burnt hair is just That's disgusting. Yeah. Um, but some for some reason, God said that this is a vow that you can make. Um, so different people think different things. Some people think that this was Paul's response to the vision of Jesus oh, right. that said, I'm going to keep you safe for a long time, keep on talking. Um, and out of thankfulness, Paul grew his hair long while he was preaching in Corinth. And at the end of his time in Corinth, he then chops it all off, carries it with him to Jerusalem and, and has it burnt. Uh, other people think it's a vow asking for safety. Um, there's a lots, of, lots of different possibilities. I think the main thing that we should be taking from it is, is that Paul, as a Christian, who's made it very clear that the sacrificial system in Judaism has been fulfilled in Jesus, is still very comfortable following certain Jewish practices. So he's still, he'll talk later about how he wants to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Mm. And we automatically think, oh, Pentecost, that's the when the Christians are. No, 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 that's Pentecost, the Jewish festival that he's celebrated his whole life. Um, and and this ritual which he does, and he does another ritual when he gets to Jerusalem at the last time, um, are very very Jewish, and he's happy to he's happy to go between those two worlds um, and sees no contradiction in that. So as I said in the sermon, we kind of separate Christians, Jews, yes, um, but for. Paul, Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, mm. and so he's still happy to do some of the practices. And probably part of why he's so effective in talking to Jews and in talking to Greeks is I, that he's absolutely. still he's very still, much involved. He, he still understands it completely, but mm. understands it better than those who are still just in that only. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I was aware... I, sorry, I was, say, I was very unaware mm. about this conversion of, I'm going to say his name wrong, is it Sosthenes? Is it, I don't know. I haven't met him. <laughs> okay. Well, that guy. Um, <laughs> until you, you um, uh-huh. directed us forward a few few books of the Bible. Yeah. Um, but I found that really encouraging that someone so opposed yeah. was converted and then became so um, paramount to uh-huh. actually spreading the gospel. Yep. With the exception of Paul, another obvious example, yep. is there other examples in Acts? doesn't seem to be in Acts. Um, like, obviously, the, the synagogue rulers um, and people within the synagogue, some of them are opposed mm. and then potentially are altered their opinion over time. Um, but there's no... There's no um, there's certainly no one sim- on the same level as yeah, Paul. Right. Um, so it is quite unusual. And, and I think, therefore, that's the reason why we kind of miss this connection that's there to be made. Um, I think in the Gospels, we probably see a little bit more of it. Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus at night, there's probably a little bit of yes. at least hesitancy, if not opposition. He's trying to check Jesus out, mm-hmm. but he's obviously open um, at that point. Jesus' brothers, um, they come and they actually kind of say he's out of his mind. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so by the time that James is now making decisions at the Jerusalem Council, clearly is fully on board. Sure. So there has been a significant change in his his response to who Jesus is. Mm. Um, but yeah, not in, not so much in Acts and the remainder of the New Testament do we hear too much about the, the dramatic uh, change in direction like there was for Paul and sure. potentially for Sosthenes. It was exciting. I was really encouraged mm. by it. Mm. Um, the other thing I really liked hearing about was Priscilla and Aquila as the kind of husband and wife team yeah. and the work that they did. Yeah. I feel like most of Acts is, is the bloke's work. You hear yep. about Paul and Peter and Barnabas and Timothy. Yep. 
Is it just because they're bachelors or is there something really significant about this pairing? <laughs> um, they're, clearly, they're clearly not all bachelors. Peter's married mm-hmm. um, and yet we hear nothing about his wife. No. We actually hear about his mother-in-law being sick and Jesus goes and heals her. Um, but we don't hear about... The, the the wives of the disciples um, so much so it, it is interesting that it's that it is here it's interesting as they're introduced that it's Aquila and Priscilla but through the remainder of the New Testament it's actually reversed and oh. it's Priscilla and Aquila uh, and she seems to have the priority yeah. uh, in the way that they're presented some people think that's because she came from a wealthier family there's all sorts of speculation about it um, but I think the thing that's really clear from it is that following on from Jesus' treatment of women, women are actively involved in ministry. Um, mm. they're, they're not in the background. They're not just hiding behind the scenes. They're, they understand Scripture. And so I think the Mary Martha incident, uh, she's chosen what is better. Uh, women are expected to be learning God's Word. Uh, the the consistent treatment of women through the Old Testament, that they are the mother. This is the son, listen to your mother and learn from her, that that's a right and appropriate thing. Uh, And so the fact that uh, historically and currently, statistically more than 50% of the church is women, and that Jesus and the early church expect women to be involved in ministry, with certain restrictions still around it, mm. but actively involved, um, is a, is demonstrated here really clearly. Um, and, and Paul Paul goes so far as to say, um, these two risked their lives for me. Yeah. Um, so they could have died in their promotion of or support of Paul and doing ministry together with him. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite it's quite extraordinary. It is. I I really liked the whole idea of them kind of working together for this same cause. Yeah. I think you know it's a beautiful picture of of marriage and having yeah. that same, you know, God is your ultimate value, your ultimate treasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I found it really encouraging. And 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 just bold as well, yeah. like to, to pull up Apollos and say, hey, um, actually, yeah, <laughs> um, hang on, a second. like there's no indication that they had any formal theological education that, and, and perhaps they did. The reality is, well, what I didn't say in the sermon was that actually um, when people went into Old Testament Bible teaching and they became either a leader in the synagogue or a Pharisee like Paul, um, there was an expectation that you'd actually done your trade before you did your formal religious uh-huh. studies. Um, and so we kind of think, oh, it must be unusual for Paul. It was actually just the standard. So everybody who would have been a, a teacher would have done something earlier in their childhood mm. and had a skill um, which they could use wherever they went. Yeah, so, right. it was actually, so, so it's potential that Aquila... Um, had also a trade and had been some kind of religious teacher prior to this. We just don't know. You've given me a great segue into the next question because we're talking about Apollos. Mm. Um, Priscilla and Aquila... I mean, they did take him aside, but they didn't yeah. just interrupt and take over. Yeah. I feel like that would have been a faster approach. Why did they choose the opposite? I just want to get the job done. That's my personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my guess, and, and it is only a guess, we're not told exactly why. There's a couple of factors that, that I'll back up this, hopefully. Um, my guess is that Priscilla and Aquila are still attending the synagogue. Mm-hmm. And so they're not leaders within the synagogue. They're Christians. And people know that they're Christians. They're still Jews. Um, we assume that Priscilla is as well. Aquila is 
explicitly identified. We assume that Priscilla is as well. But they're obviously able to be in the synagogue, and it's most likely that's where they heard Apollos teaching. Um, I don't think they would have had the authority to put up their hand and say, hey, Apollos, what are you doing? (laughs) It would have been the synagogue rulers, right, um, to say that. And so I think they go up to him afterwards and say, hey, that was amazing stuff that you're saying. It's obviously a little bit different to what... um, come back for lunch. Like, I'm guessing that that was more likely. And the reason that they possibly did that, as I said, I I think that one of the things that this chapter demonstrates is that people that come out of a collectivist culture that have grown up in an understanding that the group is more important than the individual, I'm a part of something bigger, um, it makes them conscious of what are the implications for others when I react to them when I do certain things. So if they had have publicly confronted Apollos, it very possibly would have so shamed him and he would have lost face so much um, that his teaching ministry there, particularly in Corinth, would have Mm. been very, very, uh, sorry, in Ephesus, would have been very, very limited or potentially it could have had even longer term impacts. If they had have been that bold, uh, perhaps he would have reacted more strongly. Who do you think you are? Um, So there's a whole lot of possibilities that could have driven them. I think that one of the things is that there's just a gentleness and a humility in their approaching him, which brought out Apollos' own humble response as yeah. well. Um, so I think it's just a it's a wisdom Wise. thing as well that if you go in hard, they're gonna they're more likely to react and get their back up. But if you go to them gently, you're, you're showing that you want to listen. Mm. Much more likelihood of someone responding positively to the to the concern. For sure. Um, I also think I remember from many weeks, actually probably last term, Mm -hmm. Rod mentioning something about the the significance of having that authority before you speak in the synagogue, if if you want people to listen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And so, yeah, it might not just have had implications on Apollos, but also on all all of the crowd in that they wouldn't have been receptive to what they had to say. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. So they're potentially thinking longer term, if this guy's going to be an ally to us, how do we do it in such a way that he's not... Mm. removed from influence. Yeah. I really like that reminder mm. of the importance of the collective rather yeah. than the individual. Yeah. yeah, obviously my my desire to jump in and get it right the first time <laughs> and fix it up is a is an individual issue more than a yeah. collective reflection. I, I, I like having lived in Thailand um, in, in this kind of culture, similar culture, um, that direct approach is almost never Effective, uh, util- for well, sure. it's not even utilised. <laughs> yeah, People yeah. don't even go there. So they'll beat around the bush. You'll come and someone will come and visit you for two hours. You'll have a meal together, and then at the end, as they're leaving, oh, by the way. Ah, oh, that's why you were here. Yeah. And that, well, there is something for hospitality, isn't there, and making people willing yeah. to listen. I'm always much happier to hear people out if I'm not hungry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, the final verses make it sound like um, Apollos had, you know, a few a few discussions, some chats, yeah, little civil yeah. debates. Yeah. Um, but we know that Paul, you know, was opposed yep. furiously mm-hmm. to the point of having to be, you know, rushed out of town several times. Yep. Um, did he have a genuinely different experience to Paul or is it just a piece of an account that we're, we're getting here and not the whole story? It's so bizarre, isn't it? Like, mm. I, I wondered the same thing. It's like, why does... It, it actually seems almost a strategic thing. Paul Paul sees that if opposition's increasing to the point of it's actually abuse, mm. I'm out of here and I'm going to tell them you guys are wrong yeah. and enough. Shakes the, shakes the dust <laughs> from shakes his feet quite literally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas Apollos seems to be continuing to act actively engage, even though people are pushing back and disagreeing, he's actually debating them and that's actually really helpful. So is it a difference in strategy of the two men? Uh, Potentially.
regularly. Um, and that, and that's what actually leads a lot of people to think a policy is actually a, a gifted, potentially a Pharisee, um, certainly some kind of teacher. Mm. Um, but it could be um, the fact that a policy has got a different time frame. Paul is very, very clear that he's going in to make the gospel known to as many people as possible. It's quite likely that Apollos had longer-term ministry okay. um, and was sticking around for a longer period of time, um, which is interesting when Paul does stay here in here in Ephesus um, and Corinth. So Corinth, 18 months, Ephesus for two years. Um, it's significant that he stays in the synagogue for a lot longer period yes. of time. So does that mean that he changed his interaction? We just don't know. Yeah. Um, I think the reality is we've got to be really careful in not thinking, oh, well, Paul messed up the method and that's why people reacted really badly and Apollos got it better. That's kind of what 1 Corinthians actually tells us. Don't start picking leaders yeah, <laughs> like sure. that. Um, it's not about their methodology just about how God's using them. So, yeah. I was, think if anything, my instinct was to, just that the crowd's reaction was different to them, and I thought, oh, that's that's I, the part I, that I find bizarre. I, I doubt it. I, I'm I'm guessing that people were actually pretty anti-Apollos as yeah, well right. and got really angry at him. Wow. Uh, but he was just able to somehow just consistently keep going mm. um, despite the opposition. Um, whereas Paul then really pro- I, and and that's quite unique that Paul has been told by Jesus you're going to go to the Gentiles where it makes a whole lot more sense for Paul to continue working amongst the Jews. The Jews, yeah. Like he's the guy that's gifted. He's the guy that knows it all. He can go to every verse in Scripture and answer the questions. So why send him mm. to Gentiles? So perhaps Apollos is like, well, Jesus hasn't told me that that's what I'm to do. I'll keep just plugging away here in my wheelhouse. Yes. And then, you know, God's wisdom is revealed so beautifully, though, when Paul talks in Athens and yeah. and talks to them so clearly and so well yeah. about where they're at. And yep. and again, I think it was Rod that mentioned, you know, about his upbringing mm-hmm. um, amongst Greeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's So he right. actually was equipped for both and God knew that and yep. God used him perfectly. But you're right, my mm. instinct too would be to do things very differently. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness I'm not in charge. <laughs> me, absolutely, me too. <laughs> yes. And that's probably a beautiful place to finish is remembering that God is sovereign and definitely has a plan that is better than anyone that we could come up with ourselves. Amen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's been wonderful to have you here. Uh, thanks as always to our producer, Mike Tam, and thank you to you, Ken. My pleasure. This has been a Wollongong Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services at our website, wollongongbaptist.org.